Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Thank you, guys. Uh, Do keep... Your finger in that page. Uh, I'm actually going to take us back, though, uh, to start off with. Oh, and I've just dropped everything. <laughs> Luckily, I had put page numbers on. So, that's how organised I am. I've got a nine. Oh, I've got 11. There we go. Basically, if now it doesn't make sense, you know why. So, let me start again. Uh, taking you back to Christmas 2017. It's an Ashes series down under, uh, hotly contested, the rivalry is there, England against Australia, uh, and I've also forgotten the clicker, that's not part of it, and, oh no, can you go back for me, there, uh, and Steve Smith uh, is the captain of, of Australia, uh, and he led his team by example uh, in this series, he hit six centuries, he hit three fifties, and he dominated his opponents. He dominated England. Uh, the England captain of the time would say that actually he was the difference between the two teams, and the Aussies would steamroll uh, the Ashes. What a high for this captain. Top of his game. He is at the pinnacle. But three months later, in March, uh, in a match against South Africa, it was revealed that the Aussies had been cheating in that game, and that Steve Smith the captain, to some extent, had been involved. Stripped of the captaincy, banned from cricket for a year, and dropped by his team. Hero to zero. How the mighty fall. And thinking about it, uh, that isn't so unique. Seems to be no end of examples recently of people in the public domain getting it wrong, uh, having accusations raised against them, Well, tonight, uh, in our passage in Genesis, we see another fall. Yet, unlike Steve Smith, and more public ones recently, there is great hope in spite of this fall. So come back with me uh, to Genesis uh, and the narrative. So, last week, 
in Genesis 12, 1 to 9, we actually saw the best of Abraham. This was a man who'd been called by God and made promises to of land, seed, and blessing. He'd been called to leave his home, and he'd gone. He was completely obedient. Left his home at the ripe age of 75 years old. What amazing faith in action. And it's to be admired, it's to be sought. Acts like that by Abraham are why he is commended later on in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith. But come with me again to verse 10, uh, and it's not what we see. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. As soon as Abraham has arrived in that land promised to him by God, his resolve and his faith are tested. Famine strikes. And for a moment, put yourself in his shoes. Uh, what would go through your head? Why has God brought me here to, to then put a famine in place? Uh, is it worth staying in this land that God has chosen for me? Well, in this case, Abraham actually decides to head to Egypt for help. Now, notice in verse 10, it does say this was only going to be for a while. And Egypt was actually in the opposite direction from where Abraham had come from. He's not turning back. But when they enter Egypt, Abraham makes the decision to deny his wife. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. He lies. He knows his wife is a looker uh, and isn't wanting to risk the Egyptians taking a fancy to her and so a hatred for him. He fears death. And so he lies. I wonder what his wife thought about that. I wonder if it was actually up for any discussion. But regardless of what she thought, the fact is that Abraham stumbles. He understandably has reservations, but is so quick to ignore God and not to trust in his provision or protection. He seems to have forgotten that promise from God of land, seed, and blessing. He feared the Egyptians more than he feared God. And it seems that it's up to himself to look after himself. Abraham, the man recognized for his faith, fell into unbelief and distrust in God's providence. How the mighty fall. Now, I don't know about you, but the realization I had when looking at this over the past few weeks is that I am just as quick, more often than not quicker, to stumble and falter when my faith is tested. And the fact is, it will be tested. We're in the midst of a broken world where the devil is real and keen to infiltrate our lives. I love a bit of uh, C.S. Lewis uh, and his book, The Screwtape Letters, uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, And in this book, uh, it is imaginary letters between a senior and junior devil discussing the human that the junior devil Uh, is trying to lead astray. Uh, And in one part, the the senior devil is reassuring the junior devil 
uh, about the human being becoming a Christian. And he says this, There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. We are, by nature, sinful people. And the result is that so often when our faith is tested, when we are faced with trials and tribulations and the challenges of this world, we stumble. I am, I'm not a cricketer. I used to play football a lot when I was younger and more agile. Uh, and uh, I was desperate to be liked. I wanted uh, teammates to think I was a top lad, as well as obviously being a brilliant player. I wanted people to want to be friends with me. And that very quickly became far more important to me than my faith did. Whether it was actually choosing to play football on a Sunday instead of going to church as a 16-year-old, being part of that laddish banter and culture of uni football, or even actually looking to be more aggressive in the adult game. My fear of rejection by my teammates was greater than my fear of God. And I stumbled. I don't know where uh, the key battleground for you might be this evening. Maybe it's like me, uh, seeking to impress others more than God. Maybe it's in relationships, losses, temptations with sex or, or porn, addictions or financial crisis. When growing, going through that, this is when we should turn to God. But so often it's actually when we turn and even run from him. Our pride and our shame mean we forget his promises, his power, and his plans. We stumble, and like Abraham, we fall. Read on with me, and we'll see there is a result of this. Uh, verses 14 to 17. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. Abraham's selfish lie to ultimately protect himself exposes both his wife and the Egyptians to sin. Sarai, his beautiful wife, ends up in the palace of Pharaoh and most likely put in his bed. Abraham's lies led to Sarah being placed in this vulnerable position, a position that may lead to sin on her own part and that of Pharaoh. Abraham's failing, his lie led to the potential fall and hurt of his own wife and would also, as we read there in verse 17, result in serious diseases the household of Pharaoh. You see, there is a consequence to our failings. Stick with the idea of lying, and I'm sure we can think of lies that we have told ourselves that have led to issues and pain for others. Or even lies that other people have told which have led to our own suffering. Take the Aussie captain Steve Smith. 
His failure led to him losing the captaincy and has also humiliated Australian cricket as a whole. It's no secret how lies, addictions, gambling, drugs can damage families and relationships. But in our passage, there is still further fallout for this for Abraham. The pagan Pharaoh takes the moral high ground over the man of God. Pharaoh mugs Abraham off. Verse 18, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? The implication is that if Abraham had been honest, Pharaoh wouldn't have taken her into his household. Now, if we take him at his word here, it would appear that Abraham had feared what need have been feared. It's a bit of telling off here from Pharaoh. And I wonder how Abraham felt. Is he embarrassed? Is he scared of what might come next? Is he scared of his wife's response? Or maybe he's scared because he realizes that he hasn't put his trust in God. What Abraham's fall shows us here is that our own behavior as Christians does not go unnoticed by others. It makes me think, what kind of person am I at work or with my non-Christian friends? Would others know what I believe? Are we just Christian chameleons who blend into the environment rather than being a light for Christ? Although I know I come across as a Darcy-esque gentleman, I can assure you my conduct on the football pitch was often far from it. And I wonder, would my teammates really have known of my faith? Would they have even taken it seriously if they did know? Whether we like it or not, our lives, our character, our actions, and so our stumblings impact upon those around us. Now, if we ended here, you might be pretty chuffed because it's quite hot and being nice to cool down. Uh, but I'd be completely understand if you were thoroughly downcast and depressed at the end of it because it's a pretty bleak message so far. You wouldn't be bounding out the door. But thankfully, there is a glorious word in this passage that changes it all. And it's at the very beginning of verse 17. But, despite Abraham's faltering and his stumbling. God does not abandon Abraham. God does not stumble. But the Lord, verse 17 starts, inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? so that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. We see God intervene, and he comes to the rescue of both Sarai and Abram. He sends this serious disease on Pharaoh's household, which convinces Pharaoh that it is due to Abram and Sarai, the result of which is Pharaoh giving her back to Abram and sending them away. But notice it's done peacefully. Verse 20, then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything they had. No harm was to come to them. No revenge sought, no compensation paid. They were to leave peacefully. 
far cry from the fear of Abraham earlier in this passage of death at the hand of the Egyptians. But there's even more, because not only does God not abandon them, he actually uses the failing of Abraham to work good. In chapter 13, we'll see that Abraham ends up back where he had left during the famine. However, this time he is returning with far more than he actually left with. Verse 16 in our passage this evening, it says, He treated Abraham well, first sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female servants and camels. I can't really assume that Abraham had expected this when he arrived in Egypt, or that I really had this in mind when he lied about his wife. But God brought good out of this fall. And in chapter 13, Abraham would once again call on the name of the Lord. Another favorite book of mine is uh, The Shack. And I watched the film recently, and boy, do you need tissues for that one. Uh, It's a fictional book, and it's one that tries to capture the story of a man called Mac wrestling with the Trinity as he goes through a period of immense suffering in his life. The man's faith has already faltered uh, before this great loss and suffering, and it only seems to cement his turning from God. However, through the narrative, Mac wrestles uh, with God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And while he openly struggles to trust what Jesus is saying to him in one part of the book, Jesus replies with this. He says, you're not stuck because you can't. You're stuck because you won't. You don't have to do this alone. I'm here with you. Jesus was right there in front of him. He was with him. And I don't want to spoil the book for you if you do want to go away and read it, but despite despite this great suffering in Mac's life, he would grow in his faith. Great good would come from it. You see that although Abraham stumbled, God does not. And this isn't just true for Abram in the Bible either. Isn't it fair to say that every time God makes great promises in the Bible, we see with the recipient of the promises stuff up? Noah? Moses? David? Is that because we so quickly assume the promise is founded on the faithfulness of the recipient rather than the faithfulness of the one making the promise? Again, with these individuals, God does not falter or stumble in his promises. And amazingly, it is exactly the same for us. We stumble, but God helps us up. And he uses our stumbling to bring him glory and us blessing. We just need to trust him. When trials And tests come our way. And they will come our way. Even though we may falter and stumble. God is there for us. Jesus says it himself at the end of Matthew's gospel. And surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. So pray. Seek his wisdom. And be assured that he is with us. And for us. Here's where they have gone out of sync.
We need to turn to God and trust in him, our Father. He is our strength and our refuge. He will grow us as his children through it. Personal example, to come back to my far from illustrious footballing career, and now that I'm retired, I can see how God never left me, despite my stumbling. Instead, uh, he had found a way to actually put me in a house with two other Christian lads who also played football and were actually far better than me. I learned so much from them. And actually, it would be them who brought me here to Christchurch. And here, where I grew in my faith to be determined to live out my life for Jesus. Here, God led me to Lou, now my wife, who again, sport was important to, and again, I've learned so much from. Through them, here in church, and with the steadfastness of God, I've grown in my faith. And I will be able now to better resist these tests. I still get it wrong. I still get it wrong. But I am so much quicker to see God now when I do. It may not be clear to us in the midst of whatever it is, whatever that trial or test is. There may be times where we feel completely and utterly lost. When this broken world just feels too much for us. But know that God is always with us and he is never lost. So we are not lost. What a great hope that really is. What a great comfort in those times. What a great truth. So although Abraham stumbled and we stumble, God does not. Now that is more of a message to go home with uh, this evening. But I actually want to finish with something just as awesome. And it's about how and why we can completely trust in this hope and truth. You see, if our access to God today and in heaven was determined by our actions, by our earning and by our merit, by how good we are, then the simple truth is that we would never have it. We would never be good enough. We are sinful and sin and stumble too easily and too often. No, the very reason we can come to trust and in God our Father completely today, the very reason we can be with him in heaven forever is precisely because Jesus did not stumble. In the Bible, there's the spring, string of spiritual leaders who stumble, who God still uses, and then Jesus appears on the scene. Jesus, God's own son, who came to earth fully man, And just like men, he was tested. While in the desert for 40 days, Satan would test his faith and obedience to God his Father. And time and time again, Jesus would remain faithful. He didn't doubt God's promises in the wilderness. Jesus lived in this broken world, like we do, but did not succumb to its temptations. He didn't give in to the temptations of the flesh. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus was tempted sexually just as we are? I'm not sure we think about him in that way. But like you, like me, like David, like Abraham, he was tested. 
But Jesus did not succumb to it. He lived the perfect life in perfect faithfulness and obedience to God. Jesus did not stumble. And that obedience would take him all the way to being beaten, humiliated, and nailed to a cross. Yet even when faced with death, Jesus did not stumble. It is through believing in his death, this ultimate sacrifice, and his resurrection that we can come to God and, like Jesus, call him Abba, Father. This is grace. It's getting what our stumbling doesn't deserve because Jesus didn't stumble. Grace is the basis of our standing before God. It is the basis for our strength for living. It is the basis for our response to trials, difficulty, and suffering. It is the basis for our hope today, tomorrow, and beyond death. In the words of John Stott, grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Is this not what we've seen in our passage this evening? God's love for Abraham meant that in spite of his stumbling, God cared, he stooped, and he rescued. Is this not what we see in Jesus? God does not stumble. Jesus did not stumble. Uh, There was a lovely moment with the Aussie captain, Steve Smith, uh, in his interview when he'd admitted to cheating. Uh, And he broke down uh, in tears uh, while answering questions, reflecting uh, on the damage his decision had made. The damage to him, uh, cricket in Australia, to his family. Uh, And there was a, it's just really, you see in the background that a hand appears on his shoulder. And it's the hand of his father, reassuring him. And he's able to calm himself and continue. How much more God, our Father, gives us in Jesus. Despite our stumbling, he does not desert us when we fall. The journey of faith is a journey of daily turning again and again to him. To remembering our desperate need for him. Because he provides for us. He sustains us. He rescues us. He makes us more like himself. He uses broken people like us for his mission to rescue others. He gives us hope in this broken world. He will never stumble. Let me end with a prayer. Father, thank you uh, that we see through Abraham this evening that in spite of our failings, you never fail or stumble. You pick us up and you use us despite him. Thank you that this is not through being earned, but because of your son, Jesus. Because he did not stumble or falter in his obedience to you. Pray this evening, Lord, that as we meet trials this week, we would not be quick to forget your steadfastness and love. But we would turn to you and cry out, Abba, Father, as we wrestle our way through it. Amen.